Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome or welcome back to the Thoughts That Manifest podcast. I'm Elle, and I am a mindset and manifestation coach who aims to inspire you to awaken your mind to the limitless potential that is within you. Hello, beautiful souls. Courtney and I are back today with another episode for you. We are, if you recall, a couple weeks back, we recorded an episode where we answered some questions that kind of made us, I don't know, look at things from different perspectives. So that's kind of what we're doing today. It's a part two. So we're really excited. Courtney, how are you today? I am good. I feel good. You feel good? We love Lots of things. Lots of things happening in the universe and in life, but... I'm gonna stop being anxious about them and just like be in love with all of them. Heck yes. I love that energy. And that's hard to do. I'm sure, you know, many listening can relate. But like, I find that sometimes the universe brings all of these changes all at once and it can feel so overwhelming and exciting at the same time. And that's where that like anxiety comes from. Cause it's like, now you're kind of like, all right, the change is awesome. I want this change, but. How am I going to manage this change now? Yeah, like, how am I going to navigate through this? Because this is different. But, you know, life could change in bad ways or good ways. And I think it's just mental perspective on anything that happens. And I'm just over being negative. Not that I want a toxic positivity in my life, but I just want to like be open and whatever happens, happens. And like that funny meme from Hangover that I sent you when it was like talking about your best friend canceling plans on you and the, and, and the guy's like, but did you die? I got shot. No, but did you die? No, you didn't die. So then we're still hanging out. Don't cancel on me. No, <laughs> just kidding. Not canceling. <laughs> but yeah, that was a funny meme. I, I just saw that. Uh, I think I literally maybe an hour ago I responded. But yeah, so I'm pretty excited about these questions. So we might as well just jump right into it. Starting off strong. What has been the toughest challenge that you and your partner have had to face together? And how did you work through the challenge? Mm -hmm. I have to say, I'm sure there's probably been many tough challenges that I could. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say there's like a there's like a couple you could. Because like if you think about it, Courtney and I, (laughs) we've been with our partners for many years now. Well, to some, it might not seem like a lot, but almost 12 years for me, a lot of challenges can happen in over a decade. So. Right. Yeah. We're fastly approaching a decade too. So, which doesn't sound like a lot probably to people who are married for 30 years, but comparison is the mother of all evils. So yeah, exactly. Each person's, each person's experience still matters. I mean, um, people could be in a relationship for one year and go through a lot. It's just. Oh yeah, absolutely. Matter of perspective. So do you want to go first? Do you want me to? You go first. I'm going to marinate a little bit on what I think mine is okay so for me I would say one okay I'll mention two things I think one of the like tough things in any relationship is when you don't always see eye to eye on everything like there was a point in my life where I felt like very motivated to like move to make all of these drastic changes to like you know do self-employment and all of this was all happening at once And like my partner was still very much struggling with, you know, finding a career that he felt uplifted by and just like kind of finding balance and navigating through the difficulties financially when it comes to like not having financially stable jobs and having to really 
kind of scrape by and live paycheck to paycheck. Like that's a challenge in itself. And that was a really hard time when we were living in a toxic environment and I was depressed and I've told that story many times, the mold issue and all of that. And just feeling restricted, we were sharing a car and I worked from home. So when we were sharing a car, I felt like I could never really leave the house unless I was like bringing him to work. And that was just like, there was a lot of restrictions that we had to work through at that time. And well... (laughs) It's almost like restrictions is kind of part of our relationship at times because then the most like current frustrating struggle that we're going through, of course, is trying to conceive. And that's like a struggle in itself. We've been trying to conceive for two years now. It'll be two years in April, which is crazy to me. Uh, Time, honestly. Happy wedding anniversary. I know, right? Yeah. I'm trying to like look at the positive, like, oh, we've been married for two years, but we've also been struggling to have our first child for two years. (laughs) It's like. Uh, gotta take the good with the bad but that in (laughs) itself can really bring a lot of issues to light just because you know it has a toll on your sex life first off because it's like you have this goal in mind yeah you know you have this goal in mind and that can kind of come between the intimacy but we've worked on that and like worked on not you know focusing so hard on that as being the goal And getting back to just love and compassion and support of one another and just working through this together. He is super supportive in this entire journey. He's been so supportive and I'm very grateful for that. But it was more so we've had to, I think communication is key in all of it. Just communicating how we feel when our needs aren't being met, when we need our needs to be met. And just like any relationship, you really just need to find understanding and compassion for one another. Yeah, because you just need someone who's supportive at that point. Yeah, exactly. But what about you? I would say there's probably also a few. I would say that the negative impact of like external biases being forced on either one of us when we first started dating because of the way that we kind of got together it wasn't bad but it was just like a lot of I had gotten out of a really serious relationship from before that and a lot of people didn't expect me to like I think date him or anyone really for a while and my family had a lot of opinions about like how different he was because he just like you and I talk about he was operating at a different vibrational energy from them or he just knew his own self-worth and really like wasn't going to to settle and I know from my own experience with them that they weren't ready to have someone like that around I think that was tough I think his brother at the time had a lot of negative aspects within himself that he needed to work on and he was projecting it onto us and me and had a lot of like emotional issues with other people's perceptions of what your partner looks like and he was very influential on my husband at the time or spouse partner at the time of like well you know you should be more concerned with like how she looks and what other people think and he was 18 when we started dating so he was very impressionable about those things obviously that's not his number one priority anymore not that I'm not beautiful no exactly um yeah it's like he has his own ideals of like what a partner should be separate from his brother. And he understands the importance of that now. I think the other thing that was really difficult was being separated for a year because I wanted to finish my bachelor's degree of biology. And it wasn't something I was willing to give up or stop doing or even try to, I'd already navigated to like a different school. And I I had all these other obstacles in life that had happened 
that kind of had already slowed down my version of progress of going to school. And I wanted, it was important to me since my parents didn't go to school and graduate that I do it with whatever psychology is behind that. But it was important to me to finish. And it was important for him because he wasn't getting the support he needed from his parents who were still here in New England, or not here because we're in Texas, who were in New England. And his mom was in Austin and he was like, I need to go be there because she's going to, you know, offering to let me live there because at the time he was living on his own and just working odd jobs and kind of give me the support I need to go back to school and figure out what he wanted to do with his life. So that year part was hard. I think we saw each other four or five times. I think I came to Austin twice and I think he went back to visit me twice. And during that time, we both weren't faithful to each other. There were periods of time where uh, whether it was like attention seeking or loneliness or whatever it happened to be like. Luckily, though, when we finally came back together, we knew and it kind of sucked for the other people that both of us had sort of like inadvertently dated. But we were both like, no, like those relationships aren't right for us. It's not really what we want. We want each other. And so it ended up working out really well because we were able to really dive into all of that and like unpack it and talk about it. And it was kind of even because we both had done it. It wasn't like a very one-sided power dynamic or anything in the relationship, but it was tough when we were actually physically going through it. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like, as a follow-up question, I was going to say, how did you guys work through that and like be able to find trust in each other again and to be able to like let go of resentment possibly that you might've had. Maybe you didn't even have resentment. Yeah, I think, well, he had his like little relationship first. And then I think I had my, I had mine after that, obviously. But I think both of us have talked about it, even not, not recently, but you know, after it happened and I talked to him about it because I had had my other committed, serious, pretty long, like six year relationship where he had cheated a lot and I never really like did or said anything. It just manifested into me having like low self-worth and this time was different because I knew my own worth and when I was approached by the outside person to like have a side relationship I don't think at the time I was thinking of like revenge or like getting even or like leveling like the power dynamic in the relationship but that's what it did because I didn't I felt like you know he obviously had the opportunity and someone saw his value and wanted to be with him and in previous instances where that happened with other partners I didn't have people who were approaching me and so I got in this mindset of like I must be worth less than I am or like there's something wrong with me or I'm missing something which is like not right that's obviously not it's not me it's obviously the person who's cheating not feeling fulfilled in some way but this scenario where like someone actively sought me out and was like I think that you're beautiful I think that you're a wonderful person I want to spend time with you it made me feel like I did have self-worth and unfortunately maybe at the time I shouldn't have been looking for it in external people it was something that I wasn't yeah it wasn't something that like I hadn't come to the realization that like all of these things should be coming from me not external people but nonetheless it like 
ignited that journey. Um, I think the other thing that's important is that when we came back together and we talked about these things, we were really honest with each other about what we were missing from each other and being with each other and how it was really the lack of fulfillment of being able to be together that led to the infidelity. It wasn't necessarily like we wanted people or we wanted like sexual experiences with other people. It was literally like we had missed that emotional stability that we got from our relationship and the foundation that we built. And we thought that we could like temporarily find it in other people, which wasn't true. We couldn't like recreate the connection we had with other people. And we realized that when we came back together, we were like, no, what we have is very unique so Mm, yeah yeah and I'm sure that that all brought you guys a lot closer and more it probably also helped you to understand each other a little bit more because you were able to like dive possibly on past wounds and you know working through that together as a couple yeah absolutely I think it it had brought up a lot of other things too of like like I said it, it probably ignited inadvertently ignited like my journey of like my self-worth and why I don't have it and where it comes from where it stems from the childhood trauma around it and like needing to work through it so that I'm not like dependent on my partner for it but it's it's kind of a lifelong thing I think it's one of my like soul contract things I'm gonna have to keep working on that (laughs) (laughs) never ends the next question is so what is something that you do in your marriage or your relationship marriage for us that may seem uncommon to other people we talk a lot of shit 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 to each other and we say it pretty hardcore too and you know you're laughing on the (laughs) other side of this microphone because you've been there you've seen it no honestly the way that they like communicate with each other is hilarious sometimes i'm just like you guys are so quirky. I love we it. We just have this uncanny ability to be brutally honest with each other about where we're like slipping in certain aspects of our life that like aren't healthy. And we both have this ability to like look and be like, okay, I know that you care about me and you have the best intentions. So you, I need to reflect on this because you've got to be right. Mm-hmm. Um And it's not always easy to hear. In the beginning, when we first started doing that, we did have to learn how the other one would receive certain words or certain languages. So it's something that we had to like fine tune and hone into. But for the most part, I appreciate it. I would rather, I like having the ability to just tell him where I think like, hey, you can improve in these areas. And I like having someone who calls me on my shit. Because when you don't, I feel like you get really stagnant in your own self and like the, the not negative, but like, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Like hedonistic or things that are like actually damage more damaging to your overall like soul or emotion or physical well-being than you even realize. So having someone that can be 100% honest with you all the time is really powerful. Does it hurt sometimes? Yes. But also in those instances, it's nice because we're really honest with each other. Sometimes we just look at each other when someone calls us out and we go, I hurt my feelings. And they're like, and the other person will be like, yeah, I hurt your feelings because it's true. Oh, jeez. <laughs> really honest. Okay. Okay. Brutal. So I would say like brutal honesty. It's but so it works for us. No, I love that that works for you. But Josh will like be joking around sometimes with me and I'll just be like, like I, I wallow in it. I'm like, oh, why are you talking like that? And he's just like, not take a joke. And I'm like, that wasn't a joke. 
I was like, because there really was some wasn't. sort of truth behind what you just said to me. Like you wanted to tell me that, but you're trying to say it in a joking way. So it comes off not as like mean. And I'm just like, I'm too sensitive for that. <laughs> tell like, me the I truth, but in a kind way. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. Like speak my love, my love language. Yeah. I'm such a sensitive person. I think everybody knows that it's ridiculous. I know. Gotta work on it. Gotta work on it, but it's fine. But also knowing that like, ultimately he has like your best interest at heart. Cause he's like your number your number one fan, your number one supporter, I feel like helps because it's like, it's not someone that you can't Like a random stranger or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but then also I understand the reverse of how that could also hurt. That could also hurt even more because somebody who like is supposed to love you so much is like pointing something out to you and you're just like, well, (laughs) vulnerable. So what's one thing in you guys' marriage? Okay. So this actually is coming up due to the I had just gone on vacation with some family members and this conversation came up and it made me realize something but so Josh and I dun 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 we don't share finances we have separate bank accounts and like everything separate uh uh-huh and a lot of people don't do that when you're married and I actually had a family member tell me that it was a red flag and I was like hmm interesting I don't see it as a red flag at all so here's the thing so here's my like process behind this let me like backtrack a little bit here but growing up so again this stems from childhood trauma then I guess but one thing that I saw consistently in my household was my parents having blow up fights that ended with the front door slamming shut and my dad leaving over money and over shared finances. And I watched my mom go down a downward spiral after they got divorced financially. And like my parents were not wise with their money and I won't go into details, but it was not good. And then, so essentially like growing up, one of my biggest fears was always like, I had these limiting money beliefs for a really long time. And I was always like, I need to have my own money. I need to be financially independent. I cannot like rely on anybody else financially because anything can happen and I could get screwed over and I don't want that to happen. Now, do I think that Josh would screw me over? I don't because in my opinion, Currently, he is in a completely different space than my dad was at the time, and I think we're at a great place in our relationship, and there was a lot going on in my parents' relationship that is not reflective of me and Josh's relationship. But I will say that there is a sense of peace of mind that I have with having financial freedom. And so when we're sharing finances, I feel it's restricted. I feel like I have to like set an allowance for myself or like there's these like talks about, well, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't be spending it on this or you shouldn't be spending it on that or like too much constriction for me personally and for him personally. We're very like freedom seeking people. So I guess you could say a lot of our relationship is about individuality and independence within the relationship. So we do things separately but like together, if that makes sense. So we split the bills. like a partnership. That's kind of yeah. how we do stuff is like a partnership. Exactly. Like we split the bills and like he takes me out to eat. And then like, if I want to go out to eat and I'm like, hey, let me treat you. Like we take turns treating each other. We don't keep tabs or anything like that. But at the end of the day, this just works for us. And then we come together and save for like trips and save for like big purchases that we want to make. But at the same Mm. time, we also are able to spend our money how we want to. 
knowing that we're also being financially liberated at the end of the day i think it's not about if you share money or if you don't share money i think it's about how can you communicate about money that's Mm. what matters the most because you can share finances but if you can't communicate in a healthy way about money it's not going to work and you can have separate finances but if you can't communicate about money money like in a healthy way it's not going to work at the end of the day you're going to fight about it that's interesting that we honestly kind of do the same similar but not exactly the same like we both obviously have our own incomes and we don't share a bank account we have two separate bank accounts but we can like instantly transfer between our two bank accounts so like we just have we actually like come up with like a like a team plan. That's our thing. We have like finance meetings and we come up with a team plan. Like these are the goals that we both like agree we want to hit within like possibly this time frame because it's not anxiety provoking if we give ourselves this time frame and you're going to work on these things and I'm going to work on these things and we kind of just revisit it and see like where we're both at and how like our progress is going. But like all his money pays for all of our bills. All my money pays for do we have debt? Do we want to go on vacation? Do we want to go out to eat? Do we want to save money? How much money are we saving? Where are we putting it? So we do something similar, but like it, it has made it so like both of us feel like we're making really amazing progress financially and neither one of us feel completely limited because neither one of us are like, well, you bought this. Well, you bought that. And like, if one of us, it does cause us to communicate maybe a little more than like, I don't know if you and Josh have to talk about things, but he'll be like, by the way, I'm buying like a $30 motorcycle part. And I'll be like, okay, cool. Like, just make sure it doesn't come out of our food money because I need food. But like, and, And I mean, I think communicating about finances and having budget plans together is important to talk about, no matter if you're sharing or not sharing finances, because at the end of the day, you are married and you are a team in a partnership and you should have common goals financially that you're working towards. Right. And we definitely do that. But I think there's this misconception that you that, have to have a bank account. Yeah, that you have to like yeah, share right. your finances completely like in one bank account and this and that. And like, I don't know, there's just so many traditional societal norms being pushed in how couples manage their finances together. I agree with that. I think you have to find the balance, find the balance of what works for you. Like exactly. nobody, nobody wrote a book. I mean, people have written books on marriage, right? Everyone's got some type of psychological expert opinion on like what makes a good marriage. But ultimately, each marriage is unique mm-hmm. and has its own unique struggles and experiences. So it's I think as long as you guys, like you said, can communicate about what works for you and do it in a healthy way and then come up with a plan, who's to say that that doesn't work? Exactly. Nobody. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's, I guess that's been the one that I think that is somewhat uncommon, maybe not so much in our generation, but like definitely in the older generations and the really like religious Because I think, and maybe I'm like putting them in a box, but I think it's because of that like heavy patriarchal presence Mm. and where like a lot of these older, like you're talking about, like didn't your family, like one of the the female in that family scenario, don't they like not work? Mm -hmm. So they're their bank accounts together because they don't work because they're not making their own money. You and I are making our own money. And we're like, wait a second, I make my own money. So if I want to go spend 
$100 on a massage. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's I'm like, I it. think it creates a different mind sh- yeah. mindset shift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So then the next question is, what are some of your core values? Now, you don't have to go through all of them, but you can just like mention some. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so many that I have. There's a ton. But I think some of the ones that are very, very important to me is one being compassion. I think having compassion is so, so important. And it's something that I try to do in every situation is like lead with a compassionate heart and try to like bring compassion into spaces where I feel like there is a lack of it. Mm. And then I also I think that's important. Yeah. Right. And then I also um, curiosity is really important to me. I think too many people struggle to question things or get curious Agreed. About things. yeah so I'm huge on that like that is a huge drive of a lot of my actions like I need to question things before I believe things I need to question systems that are in place because I do believe that there needs to be improvement but also sometimes there's outdated systems and it's time to yeah it's like development like yeah. there's too much stagnation yeah yeah And then I like to get curious about what I'm passionate about. Like if something lights me up, I'm going to research it. I'm going to like study it. I'm going to like go all in, like go all in and research that. And then open-mindedness is really important to me too. And I don't even know if this is really a core value, but I personally just believe that leading from an open mind, being open in general is really important. And that's really important to me. And I feel like I oftentimes can be like attracting people that just lack that a little bit. And I think it's like yeah, an opportunity you have to ask yourself why the universe is attracting yeah. that into your life. It's trying to teach you. Yeah, exactly. It's like trying to teach me to continue to be open-minded and maybe like inspire others to be open-minded. But then also laying laying back to when people aren't willing to be open-minded and realizing that I can't change or force people to be open-minded. That's um, probably the big one. I struggle with that too. But I think also sometimes it's hard because we live in such an egoic society that it's hard to remain open because sometimes I think we don't even realize it and we're like closed off to the the concept of like how other people may operate. Like for instance, using the money conversation that we just had, being open-minded is us saying whatever works for someone else is what works for them. Yes. If they operate in the old school, like patriarchal, they don't work. The husband makes all the money. So they share a bank account. The husband can kind of dictate what they spend their money on. And that's what works for them. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Being open-minded is that. And understanding that like people have different ways of operating. And if that's good for them, then that's good for them. Yeah. Um, and even maybe taking like small bits of like, there might be hidden gems in there of like things that we could take and learn. Yeah, and adapt I love to that. our own style. The whole like adapting of like taking little pieces from certain ways. Like even when I think of parenting styles and stuff, taking little bits of pieces from different parenting styles instead of being closed off to completely shut one type of parenting style down. Like just being more open-minded about that. That's just another example. And then I put faith and spirituality for me personally. And again, like faith and spirituality to me is not necessarily religion because I don't like the structured fear-based mentality that religion can bring but faith to me is like I have to have faith in something 
Because if I don't, it's really easy for me to fall into a cycle of hopelessness. So like, I have this faith in spirituality where it's like I'm being open to the signs of the universe. I'm knowing that everything is happening for me. Things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. Yeah. And there's like a brighter day coming in that even though it sucks right now, it's not going to be like this forever. It's just part of the journey. And um my spiritual practices too and making sure that I'm maybe meditating more and bringing in more grounding techniques to my life and again freedom super important to me I need Mm -hmm. freedom in everything I do freedom in my job yeah exactly whenever I feel restricted it's just not it's not for me and I could go on and on and on about more but let's hear yours yeah mine are like a little bit traditional it's a little more I would say like masculine but but also girly, because I, I agree with all of the things that you said. I like to have all of the same things that you said, but I'm going to use different ones. I think um, one of like my non-negotiables is loyalty. Mm, mm-hmm. Dead loyalty. Like I have like complete loyalty to my spouse. I have complete loyalty to you. And like when I'm in a situation and that someone is being disloyal to one of you, I'm like, nope, cut it out. It's not, no, not even acceptable by no one cares. Not yeah, even, you are a very no. loyal person. Um, so, but it like, it takes time. It takes time for me to get to that point because I feel like not that people have to prove, but they have to show the genuine genuineness of interest in having that meaningful relationship with me. That's more than just a surface level acquaintance type of friendship that's going to get that loyalty. Like I'm not just going to give it to someone because they're my friend. And and that's been something I've had to learn throughout the years. I think when I was younger, I used to just do it and I got hurt a lot. And so I've become more reserved with when I get, give that to someone and who gets it. Let's see. I think for me, honesty is huge. I think even if it's hard to hear, like I was saying, like Trevor, Trev and I, even if honesty is hard, I think the best relationships are ones that you can be honest in. Oh, absolutely. And maybe you have to like adjust how you say something or the vocabulary of what you're saying. But if you can't be honest in a relationship that you have, whether it's a friendship or a parent child relationship or a partnership, I don't think that like, what are you, there's, you can't communicate without honesty. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And then I think like a big one for me, which I I chose in like nursing school. And I would say is, is integrity. Like, I think I can encompass all the other things that are important to me as a human being to practice by summing it up as integrity. I want to take it into everything that I do, which to me means like doing everything that I do with love, compassion, intention, presence, like all of those things, honesty, vulnerability, like all of that is included in in integrity for me. So if I don't have integrity in something that I'm doing, then I feel like it's not for me. I shouldn't be doing it. Absolutely. Those are great values to have. All right. So the next question is, what is a trait that you see in other people, but struggle to see in yourself? Hmm. Probably worthiness. Mm. Like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Like I just automatically assume that like, I'm not worthy of like taking up space or being somewhere. Like I feel like my anxiety of going into certain situations stems from feeling like I'm not worthy enough to be in that space. Mm-hmm. But I'm so quick to confirm to other people that they're worthy to, of being there. Yeah. Why can't I do that for myself? Yeah, I could. Hashtag therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And even with therapy, it's still hard. I think me is a lot to like, I try to be confident, but mm-hmm. like on this podcast, I'm keeping it real with you guys. I'm not perfect. 
I do struggle with confidence at times. Like I see some people put themselves out there so confidently, like they show up on camera, they are owning who they are without fear of judgment. And who knows behind the, behind the scenes, maybe they are afraid of judgment, but either way, they're not letting it hold them back. Clearly they're still putting themselves out there. I need to tap into that more. Like, why can't I find that within myself to just show up on camera and be vulnerable and like not give a shit about what people are going to think about my appearance? Maybe I struggle with my appearance. Maybe that's what it is. I've always had this this wound where I have felt not beautiful in certain ways. And I think a lot of it stems back just to childhood and like growing up and always feeling like the ugly friend. My friends always getting the attention. Which is not funny thinking. because I always thought that I was your ugly friend. No, and, and it's so ridiculous because it's just like, why do we feel this way, right? But then again, I had messed up teeth and people always picked on my teeth and I had struggled with acne and I had a bigger nose. Like at least how it felt I got called bug eyes and all of this giraffe because I'm too tall Like I was always that awkward, weird girl. And it's like, I need to to move past that. I know. Well, that's like other people forcing on you their perception of who you are. But like you have to go through. And I feel like this is going to sound wild. But I feel like the older you get, the closer you get to 30. And you're probably approaching this pretty, pretty quickly. Not that I'm going to put on the last how old, exactly how old you are. But you're approaching 30. And once you hit 30, you just have like this like calm sense wash over you of like, I literally don't give a shit about what other people have been telling me is who I am or what I look like. I am over it. I'm too old to give a shit now. Oh, for sure. And and I will say- Redefining who I am. Yeah. And I will say like- I have come a long way because there used to be moments where I would not leave my house unless I put makeup on or Mm -hmm. unless I like really did take care of like my beauty, I guess. But nowadays I'd be leaving the house looking real. I I saw your meme online of like the older you get, the less you care about what you look like when you leave the house. Messy bun in, you got like this outfit that doesn't match. You look like you're in like pajamas still. Like I don't give a shit about what I look like, but- for whatever reason, within my creative business, there's so many things I want to do, like show up more online <laughs> through video. And but yet I'm holding myself back from doing that a little bit because I'm struggling with feeling like I can just show up in rawness, which, you know, like I feel like I could have days where I want to like get ready and then days where I don't. And who cares? May I show up someday when I'm put together and other days I show up when I'm not put together is what it is yeah honestly I think the we kind of had that conversation about recording these on YouTube Mm -hmm. and you know there'll be days where you and I get ready and days where we don't and like the authenticity of being like yeah like I got decided I felt like I wanted to get ready today and then rolling up and being in our pajamas and being like I didn't feel like getting ready Mm -hmm. it's like more authentic than people pretending like oh I rolled out of bed and I looked like this And then you come to find out, you're like, you have an entire glam squad (laughs) and you're at a studio. Like, that's not true. Like, you know, I think there's good stuff in that. Yeah. Social media definitely pushes this. I don't know. I guess it makes you kind of feel like you have to be super put together in order to show up on video because you see all of these people who are just perfectly put together. But in reality, we still don't really know like the full story of how they're actually feeling about themselves on camera. Some people. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at Khloe Kardashian. Okay. She is a great 
representation of this and not to say you know one that I know her personally but I can't imagine she has gone on record saying that like it hurt her feelings for years that people called her the fat sister or the ugly sister and then she hasn't admitted to it but she's done a lot of physical work in the gym but she's also probably gone under the knife quite a bit to look and be a certain way but has that her presenting that look that she's been trying to achieve to the world mean that she's done the inner work to know her own self-value and how much she matters outside of what she physically looks like and that her value is more than what she physically looks like because her whole family's persona is like her value is based on what you look like Mm. but that's not true which is why people are saying the kardashians are over yeah and i think that I don't know, I don't really keep up with their show that much, but I know they're coming out with a new season because I was watching a different show and they were advertising it. Previewing it? Yeah. And I think that, I think Kylie had said it or something. Kylie had said something about how, you know, her values, like she has a, a huge public platform and she's like, we have to start being mindful of how we're using it, so to speak. So I wonder if they're slowly trying to shift their values and how they appear to the world because they're seeing right. that like what was once the working, overall mindset shift. Yeah, is yeah. no longer working for them anymore. But very Pluto and Aquarius energy. It would be interesting. I don't I don't think that they could pivot hard enough or fast enough to save themselves. Yeah. Their whole hard. their whole empire is built on like skincare and beauty and what you look like yeah and where all of them have gotten like ridiculously skinny recently and supposedly ozempic which is supposed to be for type 2 diabetics is floating around hollywood like candy i heard about that and supposedly they're some of the biggest users of it i think that there's too much it's like a side conversation you and i have had like on the phone as well but there's too much real information getting out about the things that people like that are trying to hide mm-hmm. while also trying to change their image like you can't feed us a line of crap in your trailer for your new show about how like you have these we want to have these moral shifts but you're not actually doing anything to to shift yourself morally so yeah. no one's buying your crap anymore yeah and that's why and i don't mean like her physical stuff i mean like the stuff that they're spewing out of their mouths. It's yeah. not genuine anymore because you're not backing up what you're saying and yeah. people are aware of it. And, you know, and like I said, I try to lead with like compassion. So like I, I try to play like devil's advocate and like I can see- My honesty runs too high. I know, I know. I can runs see- so high. I can see why they might be called to do the things that they do because they are under such a freaking microscope in the public eye. Of course, they're going to have self-worth issues because the public is constantly ripping them apart, tearing them down. I couldn't even imagine what that would do to my own self-esteem and self-worth and the actions I would do if people were, you know, talking about my body, talking about my face, talking about my appearance. And at the end of the day, I think that this whole Pluto and Aquarius energy as well, um, I talked about this in my last episode, but I really do think that it's going to bring a lot to light about celebrities and how people in society put them on a pedestal and kind of trying to bring people back down to earth and realizing that we're all one in the same, like we're all humans and celebrities 
aren't any better than we are and we're not any better than they are. Like we're all just trying to figure this life out with the path that we were given. And each person has their own individual path that they're meant to walk and lessons that they're meant to learn. And I think for the Kardashians in particular and the Jenners, a huge lesson that they are probably meant to learn is finding value from within rather than looking externally for it or Mm, through the material side of life or through the opinions that the public have of them. And so if this is their moment where they're like, okay, shit, maybe, um, maybe they really are having an awakening moment where they're like, uh, Mm. we've been focused on way too many of the wrong values. And we've been portraying this image that we just aren't aligning with anymore. I mean, who's to say that they really aren't having these shifts in themselves? You know, I like to think that they, that maybe they are, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) I try, but at the end of the day, we never really will know because we, like you said, we don't know them personally, but yeah, it is harmful to kind of push people to, focus on materialistic sides of life and the beauty aspects rather than like looking within for that it's very like when I think of like old school like catholic old testament like church I think like it's very sinful it's like you're not that like like catholic church being like you know like you're not valuable because of what you look like and like if that's what you prioritize that's like the devil manipulating you and like obviously I don't really follow all that stuff anymore but it's just like that's what it like makes me think of from like being a kid and hearing all that stuff like Mm -hmm. I guess the conditioning you know well now that you say it that way I guess too it makes me be like okay well wait a minute if they want to like put value on beauty then like I guess all power to them I don't know it's it's like I always struggle with this like this idea or this notion that like who's to say what somebody believes is right and what somebody else believes is wrong yeah right the other thing I think is like going back to like our core values like just being honest you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, so not to make things worse, but let's add Selena Gomez into this conversation because it's all over the internet. So Selena Gomez, for instance, has been so honest about her struggle with lupus and her struggle with her weight and the struggle with like her health and her mental health and like her ability to just be very honest and put herself out there knowing that like there could be a ton of backlash of people who don't understand and aren't compassionate, but she does it anyway, makes me trust or feel like she's being she's she's being authentic and honest enough in who and what matters to her that I trust the products or I trust her message that she's putting out there more because she's upfront with it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say like if she came out and was like, by the way, I've had like $30,000 worth of plastic surgery because I don't feel like I'm beautiful and that's what I wanted to do. Would people still trust her? Probably not. So mm-hmm. it's it's very like confusing. It is. It is. Especially when you just start talking about like these celebrities who have so much influence and we put like their opinions and on a pedestal, yeah. like you said. Yeah, exactly. And you're like should be really like really what needs to happen is that like we take all these things with a grain of salt and kind of kind of like you were saying like that curiosity of like looking at looking at things objectively not necessarily like who's presenting it to you but like looking at things like ingredients and manufacturing and like all the things that like really matter that make up these even these products that you buy and doing your own research yeah and kind of like you said like thinking for yourself and honestly, like I'm getting to the point because like 
you bring up the whole Selena thing. I have never really realized how toxic it can be to have like a fan base because oh. I'm sorry, but Selena's fans are wild. So we're Swifties. Holy They're moly. They're brutal. I'm just like, whoa, you guys are going so hard for this person that you have never met. And like the loyalty that they have to them is cut Like sheer and utter loyalty and you've never even met this person or like you've met them at like a meet and greet for five minutes. It's like you don't actually know if anything that they're putting out there is true. Either true because there is so much on the internet that gets distorted and manipulated and painted a certain way in order to play out a narrative. Like especially this whole now this is a whole nother topic, but the Selena Haley thing. (laughs) It really oh, yeah. bothers me so much. Well, you also have to ask yourself, like, all these media outlets and then, like, that tagged on to this and then, like, individual TikTokers who got involved. First of all, you don't know the biases of the individual people online. Then you have to go back to the newscasters and ask yourself, like, is this some kind of weird orchestrated something or other to keep you distracted from, like, what's happening politically, what's mm-hmm. happening around the world? Because, like, while all this stuff has been happening and all of my newsfeed is like Haley versus Selena, Kylie versus Haley versus Selena, blah, 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 blah. All this stupid crap that doesn't matter. They're Par- Paris, France is trying to end pensions in Paris and they're having brutal police action strikes there. Oh, We're wow. still at like Russia and Ukraine are still fighting. Now that hasn't gotten better. There's shit going on with the US and China. Our debt ceiling in the US is like reaching crazy amounts of like uncontrollable aspects that now they're trying to pass legislation to get rid of Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security because it's 30% of that cost. And if you eliminate 30%, like that will help alleviate some of the pain because the US might default on their loan, which by the way, I'm pretty sure their loan is to China. So it's like, I don't know that for sure, but that's just what I think I've heard on the internet. I don't know. I haven't researched myself, but so it's like, are these things used as tools to distract us with stuff that doesn't matter? Honestly, honestly, who even knows? People are distracted by the drama. Oh yeah. And then that's the whole, like in my last episode, I talked about the whole TikTok ban. Just like, again, the government trying to get control over what we're allowed to say, what we're allowed to see, what we're allowed to read and who we're allowed to communicate with. Do you think it's interesting though? Like I've seen so much information online about how TikTok is a Chinese app. And in China, TikTok is restricted to children under like a certain age as like a purely educational tool and not to do like goofy dances and stuff. And then like here they're targeting the app towards people getting obsessed with like fashion trends and goofy dances and makeup trends and things that like honestly don't better us as a society and like and then I had a conversation last night with my partner about how like it's also really interesting that like you see more people who don't want to do really hard jobs that we need like becoming a medical doctor or becoming like an engineer or becoming an architect because they want to be an online social media like influencer and it's like what's that going to do to our society if we keep having that happen and it happens at like a faster and faster rate and people aren't building anything or creating anything or researching anything which I don't think that that would honestly completely disappear but as like a concept Mm. like a construct it's interesting to think about yeah that is interesting 
And I do think that like there's people not out that there. there's not value in what people do on the internet. I think oh, there's a ton yeah. of value in obviously we're online. Yeah, but I'm just like thinking. Oh know, no, no, I, this stuff. is great thoughts for my algorithm. For however I use TikTok, I'm not really seeing many dances. I'm actually seeing a lot of videos on what I tend to engage with, which is like uh, spirituality and mindset, uh, mindset shifting. Psychology. Yep, exactly. Inner child healing. Those kinds of things are showing up on my feed because that's what I interact mm-hmm. with the most. And I think TikTok has such a strong algorithm that no platform has been able to compete with where it mm-hmm. literally just is just knows what you're interested in. And it shows you that. And then the whole concept about you know, what's this going to do to us as a society and whatnot. I think there are people out there who are passionate about being a doctor, being a nurse, being an architect. It's all about like your passion, really. And I do think there are people out there who have that passion. So, but I can definitely understand the concerns as to like what it would do. But I do think that there's this new energy coming in where as a collective, we're starting to realize that we've been on survival mode for too long. We've been playing this burnout game. We've been not taking time to really spend time with our friends and family. Spend this yeah, like, like five-day work week is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> like this hustle uh, mentality. And I think I saw something like they were cha- they wanted to change it to like thirty-two hour work weeks. But my question would be, well, okay, if you want to do that, are you going to still pay the same, or are you going to pay less? Because if you're going to pay less, that's well, not- they should actually pay more, right? Because if you're going to lower somebody from 40 hours to 32 and you're going to say full-time is now 32 hours a week and people are used to making a certain income level at 40 hours a week, then 32 is going to have to match that. Yeah, you would think. So it, it would be really interested to, interesting to see how that all plays out or if it even passes. But whew, that was a side tangent. All right. Next question. Long <laughs> so what happens when we have these conversations? Okay, so what are some of your own indications or like symptoms, I guess, where you're noticing that your mental health is struggling? Like what usually is some of your first indications that you need to pay more attention to your mental health? So for me, I find like I get extremely irritated and agitated and I'll like be snappy kind of. Same. And like my mood is like really, I feel really frustrated or irritable. And that's when I know that I have not been prioritizing my own needs. I also feel like I'm either not sleeping enough or sleeping too much. Mm -hmm. Or like sleep has just like become difficult. Where Mm -hmm. for me, normally I'm like, um, if I'm doing all the right things, mental health wise, I'm out. And I'm out as long as I need to be. And then I'm up. I'm up when I'm ready. I think the other thing is like little signs of like abandoning your rituals Mm -hmm. so like some of my rituals are probably like they're inconsistent because I'm like trying to incorporate them as new things but like drinking coffee and doing yoga was a ritual I had for a long time that like I haven't maintained and that's probably something going on that I need to address so that's kind of like a a sign yeah but even like if you normally journal or you normally do like sound baths or you normally do meditation and like the things that you know really inspired you and made you feel good no longer making you feel that way or you're no longer like pushed to focus on them you're like not like you're no longer you're just like not even feeling like you have the energy to do those things yeah it's like that's kind of what I mean that makes sense yeah that makes sense And then I can also feel very creatively blocked when I know my mental health isn't great. 
Like I have no desire to focus on my passions anymore because I'm just like you said, that lack of energy and it's just like not prioritizing my well-being. What are three toxic habits that you have? So I guess we're calling ourselves out on our bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I eat too many sweets. Uh, Negative self-talk. Negative self-talk, yes. Which is something I'm trying to work on. And probably being my own worst critic. Mm. Uh, I'm really, I'm pretty mean to myself. And like, it's taken a lot, especially like a lot of like good feedback from you of being like, you need to be your own best friend. Mm -hmm. And me being like, and then when I'm doing stuff that's like really mean to myself, I'm just like, why? Mm. Why am I not nice to myself? Right. Yeah. That's that's hard to work through. Also, I've been scrolling through social media way too much lately. Scrolling. Yep. I need to get off my freaking phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see. It's so hard for me because it's part of my job to be on my phone and like social media. So like you feel like you get sucked in though. And then like you're not working anymore. And Mm -hmm. now you're just like, you're like, shit, I'm just on here to be on here. Yeah. It's so sidetracking. It's, it's terrible. I really try to set like limits. Like I'll kind of pretend to lock the app that I don't need to be on. So I make sure that like I don't, I think there's actually an app out there that will lock apps so that you're not distracted to like open up a social media app while you're meant to be on a different app. If that makes sense. Oh, that's actually smart. Yeah. For me, mine is definitely procrastination. I'm such a procrastinator. Like I put things off to the very last minute. I procrastinate on everything I want to do. And right. I really have to work through that. Have um, you gone to social security to change your name yet? No. Which I can't judge you because guess what? It took me like over a year. So I don't want uh, going to that office makes me cringe. I hate If it going- makes you feel any better, I was in and out pretty quickly because they like separated how they're doing the tasks. So but like, let me guess, you had to be tasks. there at like 8 a.m nine it didn't open until nine nine okay well still early for a girl and then i went home and took a nap that's true and I, aka i slept until five o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> i normally sleep during the day well and to call myself out even more i'm extremely lazy when it comes to mundane tasks like getting ready and cooking and cleaning and like all the mundane things that just bore the crap out of me and it's so funny because that app that i was telling you about that i do the numerology and whatnot it has the previous life section so i can just call myself out even more (laughs) for my previous life it says In the previous life, you had an extraordinary talent which could make you famous and financially successful while helping to be useful for others. But for some reason, you did not develop your skills and you chose to live an ordinary life. You decided to do physical labor and create handmade things. So then it says, in this present life, you almost compensate for your past workaholism and quite often refuse to work properly or do something unexpected. You almost save your energy. You can be so lazy to do something that you cannot even cook or make a simple dish. You often think about (laughs) hiring a housekeeper. Do you? (laughs) I would love to do that. I hate cleaning. But I do do find the time to clean because then it says, however, the desire for vigorous activity sometimes attacks you. At this point, you can move mountains, wash the whole house, and do many other things. And in this state, a significant talent is given to you. You can implement it and earn money for a living. The problem is that most likely you'll choose a more understandable profession, like an accountant or an engineer. Therefore, there is a rejection of your purpose. 
at some point you stop and you begin to look for yourself, realizing that you are doing something that does not suit you. Nevertheless, life will provide temptations in the form of job promotions, da da da. So essentially, it says that it's best to invest time and effort in personal self development. You need to find the talent and reveal it. Do what has been attracting you for a long time and let it seem crazy at first. You should not be afraid to create something new. And I was like, that sounds pretty accurate. I hate cooking. I hate cleaning. I hate working. Yeah, I literally am that millennial that, you know, boomers hate. Boomers love to hate me. Right. So I'm like, no, don't follow the traditional path. You don't need to work hard for a living. Da, 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 da. Like, go after what you're passionate about. Screw the traditional path. Right. And then all the boomers all like, the ah, that's the problem with your generation. You guys are lazy. You don't want to work hard for your money. I'm like, no, I don't. Who said I got to break my back for it? Exactly. Right. Well, I mean, I'm still harder, mentally working hard. Smarter, mentally. not harder. Yeah, okay. exactly. What are you most afraid of? It's like, I have things that immediately come to mind. And then I have like, and then I'm like, is that really, is it something like deeper? Like more overarching? But I would say like, in general, failure. Mm. Which is crazy because failure is just an opportunity to learn. Failure like doesn't even technically exist. I hate that. We even have a word for it but in terms of like failure it would be like really what I fear is spending my whole life working a job and not living my life mm. I don't think that we are put on earth to work five days a week nine to five whatever it is our whole lives for someone else to make them money whether we're contributing to society or not, I think like our lives are meant to build and sustain human relationships. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably why I chose a type of job that has like some um, like community aspect to it. And then obviously why we do this. But yeah, I would say like, like my biggest fear would be like being on my deathbed and being like, I should have done this or I should have done that. And instead I worked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't take it back. Like once you're once you're on that brink of like death's doorway, you can't change anything that you've done. So I think like as I get older, it's just like doing more things that I know are things that I want to do versus things that I feel obligated to do. If that makes sense. Love that. That does make sense. Absolutely. For me, my biggest fear is physical pain. And now oh, that's actually a good an interesting good one. Yeah, and I don't mean like emotional pain because I've been like burning to death yeah exactly like I've been through emotional pain I know I'm good but physical pain that's another level that like I'm terrified of I don't want to feel that physical pain car accidents uh, fires you know major surgeries even like taking medicine and like feeling physically sick from medicine scares me and Mm -hmm. like physical pain holds me back quite a bit. Like there's certain tests that I need to get done that I've pushed off because I'm afraid of the physical pain aspect of it. I would say that's totally right. Like totally reasonable. Like some people have this like this pain tolerance. Yeah. It's so amazing that I wish I could just have, but I wouldn't get like a tattoo beforehand. Yeah. I won't even get like, I don't even have tattoos because I'm so afraid of pain. I wouldn't have my ears pierced if it was up to me. Good thing I had it done when I was a kid. But you feel um, like you got a tattoo. Yeah, I did. But it hurt. 
so bad. I really got it to just like commemorate my dad though. But I think my other greatest fear, I don't know if we need to put like an explicit title on this or like maybe you'll have to add a trigger warning in the beginning, would be being sexually assaulted as a female. Mm. Having someone violate my body that is my home and my sacred space and then not knowing how, like, I don't, I don't know how survivors do it. Mm -hmm. I don't. And it's very interesting. It would be really interesting to have some survivors come on and, and talk about their journey if they were open to it, because it's like something psychologically, I just, I yeah. can't even fathom and definitely as a resource to help other people. But yeah, that would probably be one of my other greatest fears. Absolutely. And I was kind of talking about this to a friend the other day. And now this is not the same as being sexually assaulted. I know that for a fact. But an experience that I went through that has like held me back from wanting to continue with my fertility journey was being at the doctor's, having uh, an internal vaginal ultrasound done and having it be so painful that it made me physically sick and telling them to stop and they didn't. They didn't listen to me. I felt extremely violated in those moments. And then I literally, as soon as she took it out, threw up everywhere. It was like super, honestly, pretty like traumatic for me because now I'm standing there naked in front of all these random people, which I get it, they're nurses, but it was in that moment. Yeah, but where it still I, sounds like that's like against your will. I feel like that still falls under the realm of like sexual assault. That's that's honestly like I I that's how I felt in that moment. <laughs> I felt violated. I felt like my wishes, my body was not being respected. Mm -hmm. And that's a very personal space to be all up in. Mm -hmm. And it's like your home. That's your little home. Yeah. And so when I was literally crying, screaming, stop, and they wouldn't, she was just like, no, it's okay. We'll be done soon. I'm like, I'm sorry. That sucks, dude. Excuse me. I'm like, you'll be done soon. No, you have to be done now. It is. I would have literally pushed them away and been like, the fuck away from me. It was honestly bullshit because one, it's not a life or death situation. There's no need for you to stay up in there when I'm telling you to stop. Like there was no purpose. Like I would understand if I was like, for example, pushing out my child and I was like, no, this hurts. Stop. Like clearly. And you were like, we've got to save the baby. Yeah, exactly. Like that's different than having an internal ultra vaginal ultrasound that you can stop. You don't have to like keep going at this point. Yeah. It was, oh, it was an experience that really did make me feel a type of way where now I'm supposed to get like an HSG test done and I have held myself back from getting it done due to that experience because I'm so afraid. I don't blame you. The whole adding that on top of the whole inability to conceive, it just makes the whole, the whole journey very traumatic. You're just like, I don't even want to bother I don't even want the answers it's more trouble than it's worth for me that's how it feels that's how it feels so I've just been putting all of that on pause because I'm like I'm still trying to recover from like feeling violated and feeling like sick and feeling that pain in that moment and just trying to get over the fact that that won't happen again with this next test and I know for some that sounds so ridiculous I'm sure because they're like well you're gonna have to push out a baby do you know what kind of pain that is which I get But I can't, like, wrap my head around the fact that, like, I don't have, like, I didn't have the baby in me in that moment. So, like. Right. Or you're, like. I would have, I would have pushed through the pain. How to say this, like, smart, like, in a way that makes sense. Oh, um, it's, like, you choosing to get pregnant and choosing to give birth is one thing. But you went in to have a procedure done that was, like, told, like, this is how it's going to happen. And you being, like, 
agreeing to it in the moment and then while it's happening you're like I don't agree which some people would be like well you could like agree to be pregnant and then give birth and be like I don't agree to this baby anymore which I'm sure a lot of people don't agree to the baby once it's coming out um because of the pain but yeah I know what you, I know yeah. what you're my maternal instincts would turn on and I would push that fucking baby out like okay but in that we moment hope. I did not have I'm no baby kidding. in me there's no baby in me right. and this procedure would have given me some clarity and answers short but at the same time if I'm in pain and I'm telling you to stop fucking stop that's how I felt not a life or death situation you can stop and it just felt it just felt violating but I, I know that's not the same as being sexually assaulted but I just wanted to put that in there because in that moment I did feel violated it's still valid because you still feel violated yeah it's not any less and it contributed to my fears of moving forward with physical pain yeah I could agree with that I'm afraid to have my IUD taken out because when they put it in it hurts so bad and I'm like how hard is it gonna hurt when you take it out oh man the things that we we go through as females go through yeah but All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and maybe got different perspectives from it. And we can't wait to be back again. I think next week's episode, we're going to, were we possibly going to do like talking about victim mentality and like getting out of a victim mentality and all of that. We were wanting to touch on that and how to, how to share your speech how to speak your truth and share your childhood trauma without feeling like you're painting yourself as a victim or putting yourself in in this pigeonhole of being victimized. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So really excited to record that for you next week, but we are sending you so much love guys until next time. Mm